0: Good morning, thank you for the music the scripture and I am personally very grateful to be here. We actually got out of the house into the RV and here by nine o 'clock so that was amazing we were we It was our goal, but sometimes you make goals not knowing if you can meet goals and we did it, so that was a real blessing so we will be we will be soliciting your prayers we the, the r v is supposed to be a tool for the kingdom, and uh, they are also sources of toil and travail and so we will be i think after uh, the service, we would like to invite all of you to come out there, look at it, and pray with us over it to send us off because we just you know, God uses all kinds of things, and the RV is one of those things that we believe is a good tool for us as a family, but we need prayer, and we want it to function as a tool and not as a pit of despair. So <laughs> right now, it's a blessing, and we are grateful for it. I'm looking at several things. Uh, Acts verse 2:42 is where I was going to start. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we have a, 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 a small glimpse into what was happening in the early days of the church, right after many, many of the Jews in Jerusalem had responded to the preaching of Peter and the testifying of the apostles, and this is what was happening at that time. Do you have it? It says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. In the last couple of years, this verse has become a bit of a, a this standard, the, 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 what I'm looking at, the vision statement for Living Water Fellowship. When I look at what we do and why we do it, I think of these four things, the Apostles Doctrine, the breaking of bread, and prayer. The part that had gotten me really excited was the other year when I was reading through it and I noticed it said, Fellowship. And I hadn't really ever noticed that before, because it says here, they continued steadfastly. Uh, In some of the translations, it says, they devoted themselves to these four things. And so I'm thinking, how do we devote ourselves? I I think it's fairly easy to see someone devoting yourself to the apostles' doctrine. You can say, well, they are always reading the Scripture. They're talking about it. They're comparing notes. They're learning things about Scripture. Prayer. We can see if someone is spending a lot of time in prayer. That's fairly simple to identify and say. Right there, they're really focusing on the Word of God, uh, on prayer, and they're spending time with prayer and prayer. And then it had the breaking of bread and fellowship. And those two, as I was thinking about them, I was I went back through my mind and I thought, how many times in my life have I been in a church service and I've heard people calling an initiative to build a building. I've called. I've heard the church calling people to an initiative to go on a mission somewhere else, to preach the gospel somewhere. I've heard revival uh, uh, meetings set up and scheduled and said, hey, we're going to be having these, you should come out. I've heard prayer meetings and even prayer events and prayer gatherings talked about and discussed. And then I was just thinking through every program I've ever heard announced, every video I've ever watched, and I've thought, how many times has the church Put out a call to fellowship and said, It is really important that we are fellowshipping, that we are breaking bread together. Now, occasionally you'll hear someone say, Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is part of fellowship. But it's not all of it. And so I, a couple of weeks ago, was thinking about this and I did a, one of my coffee talks with Pastor Joseph. I talked about the call to fellowship, and I just kept thinking about it, and I decided instead of going on where we were in Romans, I just wanted to talk about this call to fellowship. And there are certain things in life that we have seen and heard, you know, when you see the Uncle Sam poster that says, I want you, and we kind of get the idea of what it is, and then you'll see uh, maybe... Some of the military branches will have a, a film or something they will show, a, a, a basically an ad, a promotional thing that makes it look epic and big and grand and they're calling people to come serve. Um, we've seen that on short-term mission trips where someone will put together something and it's compelling. It's designed to get into your emotions. It's designed to get you to think, I could do that. And then it wants to move you from I could do that to I should do that. And so we're used to seeing some of this. And I thought, well, what would it look like if we filmed fellowship and made a promotional and said, this is what God has called you to? And, and, and saying fellowship is, is what you are needing. So this was, this was the interesting thought. And so that's what I'm going to be looking at today. It's just a little bit of this, and I. I just wanted to look again at th- that verse in Acts two forty two. There's there are several pieces to this verse. When you look at the the devotion of um, when you're devoted to something, the apostles' doctrine. One of the interesting things about that is, you and I, if we're discussing the Apostles' Doctrine, we are looking at written words in the Scripture. We are trying to understand what did the Apostles write, what did they say. Then we try to look at other witnesses from history that say, how did the Apostles live out what they said. We're trying to understand the Apostles' Doctrine. For them, when they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine, it meant that they were spending time with the apostles, and the apostles were saying, here's what it says in Isaiah, here's that, how Christ fulfilled that, and here's what that means for us. And then a lot of that was contained in the scriptures, the gospels, and the epistles that we get. However, I'm, I'm almost positive that in all of the time when they were together, they were not you know, Bible verse only type of preachers, there had to have been a lot more discussion. And so when I think of them all together in this scenario, and you have a couple of the apostles, and you have a couple of the other disciples that have been with Jesus that whole time, and then you had some Jews there who actually hadn't been with Jesus, who had not spent time that whole time, and then they're discussing something, and one of the apostles shares, well, you remember what Jesus said, and he gives the account. And someone else says, yeah, but remember that other time when we were out on the road and we were traveling and this guy came up and asked this question, remember what Jesus did that time? And, and pretty soon, the people that are sitting around are going, I wasn't with Jesus, but he is real. Because these people experienced Jesus, and they spent time with Jesus. And just by sitting here and hearing the stories of how they were interacting with Jesus, just by doing that, my faith in Christ is growing. And so I think that's one part of the way the fellowship, the Apostles' Doctrine worked. It wasn't that They were going, okay, we've got it all lined out. We've got 25 books written. We have everything that the apostles ever taught on here, expounded out in detail, and we're going to go through this, and it's a study, and at the end there's going to be a test, and we'll know how well you understand. It wasn't like that. The apostles' doctrine was the apostles expounding on the Word of God and applying it and showing how Jesus fulfilled it and applying it to their lives that was the beauty of this time frame, So even in the way they were talking about the apostles' doctrine, there was what we would call fellowship and back and forth involved with it. And so I had to, in order to really push in on this idea that fellowship is something that we could potentially promote or advertise or use as a call, I was thinking, well, how do we think about fellowship? For instance, Back in the, you know, 100 years ago, we had this ad. Do you have that one, Reagan? Yeah, go ahead and give us the the ad here. The Men Wanted ad, the Hazardous Journey ad. How many of you have heard of Shackleton and his Hazardous Journeys, right? So he was getting ready to go on a a trip. And as he was getting ready to go, this was the ad that um, we've all heard about, more or less, It said, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. So, this was the ad. The expedition had an office in London. And when I went looking for this ad, I discovered that this particular ad never ran anywhere in any newspaper. The Shackleton had, his expedition had an office in London, and he had been for quite some time stirring up, trying to get enough people together to be able to go. So, in, in there was a book that was written some years later. Well, first, here is what actually was in the newspaper. This was in the London, the London Times in... Uh, He wrote this. It was just like a letter to the editor. Sir, it has been an open secret for some time past that I have been desirous of leading another expedition to the South Polar regions. I'm glad now to be able to state that through the generosity of a friend, I can announce that an expedition will start next year with the object of crossing the South Polar continent from sea to sea. I've taken the liberty of calling the expedition the Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition because I feel that not only the people of these islands, but our kinsmen in all the lands under the Union Jack will be willing to assist toward the carrying out of the full program of exploration to which my comrades and myself are pledged. Yours faithfully, Ernest H. Shackleton. So we have this. This is his letter to the editor. A couple of years after it had all happened in a book named Quit You Like Men by Carl Hopkin Elmore. And I was going to have the picture of that up there and I don't have it. But Elmore wrote about the expedition and the preparation for it, and he said this, Sir Ernest Shackleton, when he was about to set on one of his expeditions, printed a statement in the papers, to this effect. So he doesn't actually say this is what he wrote. He says, to this effect. And to the effect, it was, men wanted for hazardous journey to the South Pole, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. In speaking of it afterward, he said that so overwhelming was the response to his appeal that it seemed as though all the men of Great Britain were determined to accompany him. And when he was talking about going to the South Pole, I'm thinking of all these men who were sitting there going, I want to do something with my life. And he says, hazardous journey. They're like, well, I'm, I'm interested. And so he began to really stir a lot of public interest. So even though this ad never ran, Ernest Shackleton had sent out the word about this hazardous journey. In fact, so strong was the appeal for this that I, I, when I was looking at it, I found a letter from three sporty ladies who think that they can keep up with the men and they really want to go along. <laughs> and they're willing to leave their ladies' garb at home and wear men's garb if that would help with the expedition. History tells us they did not go, but... Three sporty ladies at least responded and wanted to come along. And so there's something about the way this is worded, and so it, it intrigues our interest. Now, for myself, if I'm sitting comfortably at home, living a comfortable life, and someone comes along, hey, you want to go be uncomfortable for months and risk your life and maybe die? I'm like, for what? We're going to go look at the South Polar regions. My interest level, yeah, not that high. So I don't know who these men were, but somewhere there's men. When they heard this, were like, sit at home. Maybe they were unhappily married. I don't know. But somehow they're like, yes, take me out of here. And they all signed up and they wanted to go. And so a lot of men. And what was really interesting, though, was there was one man on the team. And I forget his name. He was just walking through London one day, saw a little sign out that it said it was the expedition, whatever... That the big name that Shackleton had was like, "What's that about?" Knocked, went inside, got the flyer, was like, "Huh, that'd be fun," and went. And actually, was one of the men that was selected to go. So, in in thinking about call to fellowship, and I was thinking about this this hazardous journey, I began breaking down in my own mind the idea of what fellowship is. See, there is a there is a verse that we often use when when we get together in the body of Christ, we say, well, we're two or three are gathered together. And if you go over, let's actually go look at that. It's in Matthew chapter 18. And in Matthew 18, we're going to start in verse 15. The verse we're trying to get to is verse 20. I just wanted to get us the context of this, where two or three are gathered together, because we, say, we actually quote this quite a bit. You know, we get together, you know, a couple people don't show up that we're expecting at our meeting. We're like, well, we're two or three are gathered together, and we go ahead and do whatever we're doing, right? And we use it as a, as a way to encourage ourselves. But if you look at Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 15, Jesus is speaking, and he says, "'Moreover, if your brother sins against you, "'go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. "'If he hears you, you have gained your brother. "'But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more.'" that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven." For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And so this verse, while feeling potentially good about fellowship, is actually more about when we have disagreements and problems with the relationships, we need two or three witnesses. And in the Old Testament, that was the the witnesses were what we needed. And because if, if I am offended and I come to you, I'm going to try to give you my side of the story. Chances are I'm not quite right. And you're going to be like, I'm hearing you, but I've got to tell you my side of the story. I'm like, I don't want to hear your side of the story. Here's my side of the story. And we can go back and forth for quite some time, not make any headway. At that point, we have to get some other people involved. And so we say, okay, so here's the situation. And, and this is a classic example. You know, our boys are learning how to talk with each other. And there's, it escalates. When you're in the Legos, it escalates really quickly. And if you stop and use words, it calms it down. And if you can't solve it yourself, you go get more people. And then there's this side, and then there's this side. And then the witnesses say, well, what about this? And pretty soon they're like, oh, yeah, you're right. And then, and then there's a resolution is found. We are not different from our children. We, when we hear both sides and we're able to hear everything, a lot of times there can be a solution that is peaceful and mutually beneficial. Occasionally, someone just has to say, I'm sorry, I was wrong, and here's a million dollars, you know? <laughs> someone, occasionally, someone has to just take and, and, and take the hit and be like, I was wrong, I should not have done that, there was just no way I was right, and, I will pay the price for my errors, but but so this is more of what we're talking about is how this and so we see a, a mention of prayer. If two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them. There is a little bit of that, but again, I've, it feels like it is still in the context of the relationships because right before this, we had what we call the parable of the lost the lost sheep, and so we have we have this, the hundred sheep and one is gone and he goes out and he's bringing it back into fellowship and as he's going out to bring that one in, he then transitions over and says, moreover, if someone sins against you. So the idea is, if someone sins against me, chances are they don't wanna be with me and if I'm with a group of people, they don't wanna be with that group anymore and so they will then remove themselves from that group of people. And so that becomes in, in, a, in some, you know, we are so blessed in America with so many Christians in so many places that you can be offended in one area and move to another fellowship and be like, well, now I'm happy over here and I don't have to worry about these people and never resolve the issue. So it's a blessing that comes with a price. It's not altogether a blessing. But so this is, so this is as I'm looking at that, I'm like, well, okay, so, so let's think about this. What is fellowship about? Because if I come into church and I've done this a lot in my life, you walk into church with people. Hi, how are you this morning? How are you this morning? How are you this morning? And, and everyone has the standard response. You know, there's the guy that says, "Well, I'm, I'm, I'm above dirt today." You know, I'm above the ground. And there's a the guy that says, "I'm breathing." There's a the guy better than I deserve. There's all these different people. They say, say something, and. If I come to church the next Sunday, go down the same row of hands and shake everyone's hands and say hi, they're going to tell me the exact same thing. And then we're going to go sit down, and then as we're getting ready to go, everyone has a little catchphrase, you know, someone's going to go check on their cows, someone's going to go home and take it, you know, like everyone has the thing that they say. And we're human, so we fall into these rhythms, and it's kind of fun. And so every time I meet you, I say this, every time we leave, I say this and that's our relationship it reminds me of a song that it was an old song from probably 100 years ago now maybe not quite but it just it starts with no to mourn 20 years liked him through and through him and me were neighbors here when the land was new and it keeps going and explains that for 20 years they've been neighbors and we get to this part never was no other word had by him or me except for these two words as he would see him coming down, I'd holler, howdy, and he'd holler back, hello. And he says, that's what I call neighboring in the good old way. And I'm like, no, that's not neighboring. You never had another conversation other than howdy and hello for 20 years. And you're out in the country, never heard anything. Oh my, that's not really neighboring. I wanna hear stories, but this is the way we deal with fellowship and with the church. We're happy, with a superficial, Sunday morning, fake smile, long enough to be together, a good firm handshake, maybe a hug, we come in, we sit down in rows, we listen, and then we get up, shake hands, and we leave again. And this is what our goal here at Living Water Fellowship has been, how to break through this. What we're literally saying is, we want you to embark on a hazardous journey. We want you to spend time with people until you can't use the same words every time anymore. We want you to run out of all the platitudes. We want you to come back next week and realize that you've already talked about sports and politics and everything else you can think of. You've already talked about it all and now you're gonna to have to come up with something else. And you're gonna to have to go deeper. And so now you're gonna start talking about rebuilding small engines and other things. And then you're going to come back next Sunday and you've already talked about that. And so you're going to have to go a little deeper. And so then you're going to talk about painting your house or whatever. And then you come back next Sunday and, you go, and you've already talked about all of that. And so you're going to have to go a little deeper. And we want, you to, we want to see each other so much that eventually we've already talked about all the things and now we start talking about family relationships. We talk, start talking about our history and our walk with Christ. And we start talking about the journey that we've been on. And we, 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 we're way past the weather. Can we still say, hey, what do you think about this weather when there's hailstorms falling out? Yes, we can. We can still talk about weather. We can still talk about sports. We can still talk about politics. We can still talk about all those things. But we've talked about so many things for so long. So can you imagine coming in and you're expecting, hi, how are you doing? Not a real answer, but a, hi, how are you doing? And then the music starts, you sit down. All right, well, see you next week. And you're headed out. And then you come, and instead of that, we're eating food together. And so now you have to say hi again after church, because you already said hi once. Now you have to say it again. And then you have to go and actually get food and sit down, and you have to decide, all right, I already said hi to them. Where am I going to sit? I don't know if I like them. I'm not sure if I can talk with those. Is there a table by myself somewhere? And we try to find this, and so we, we sit down and then someone says, oh no, he talks too much. Oh, well, that's better than me talking, okay. I can handle this. Wait, he's asking questions. No, and so we, 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 if you can imagine the terror, so I, I was starting to think about this because at first I'm like, you know, fellowship is so tame. How do we ever make a hazardous journey ad? The more I thought about it, I'm like, this is one very hazardous journey. Someone's going to look at me and ask me a question. And they're going to remember what I say and ask me the next question next Sunday. And if I just, if I don't tell the truth, I'm going to forget what I said. And I'm going to say something dumb. I'll be found out. My, My cover will be blown. So I have got to actually tell the truth. So do I want to talk to them about it? And so you understand the danger of a church potluck meal. You're going to have to talk to somebody. And if you keep doing it, you're going to have to talk to them about Jesus at church and what Jesus has done for you and what he can do for them. And you might even have to pray with someone. Can you imagine that? This is dangerous. But this is what we're being called to. When Jesus came to that lukewarm church and he's standing at the door of their hearts, knocking, what's he saying? I want to come in, I want to sit with you, I want to eat with you and talk with you. I want to have fellowship with you. And what is Jesus expecting are we going to open the door and say, hi, Jesus, nice to see you. Look at those clouds. Ah, we used to be able to see them better before all this environmental stuff. Come on in. We sit down, eat by Jesus. No, he wants to come in and stay. He wants to come in and hang out for so long that he knows everything about us. He wants to spend so much time with us he knows every room of our house. He knows every thought, every word, every desire we have. And then he calls us to be like him. And now suddenly we come in, we sit down. I look across the table and I ask a question, not because I'm trying to make conversation, but because I actually want to know. Tell me about this room of your life. And then I'm going to remember it. Hopefully, sometimes I forget. Sometimes I forget names after the third time. It's embarrassing. Well, after the first time it is too. But, but we're called to follow Christ and we're called to sit down with each other, to care, to look. Because I imagine Jesus sitting down with me and I imagine him looking me in the eyes. I imagine him asking me a question and when I give the answer, he's listening and he's responding to that question Uh, to the answer, and then we're going on in conversation and we're sharing things, and he's saying, what about this, what about that? And we're going through the whole process. I'm imagining a two-way conversation, and I'm imagining that in light of me trying to explain my life to him, I suddenly understand it so much better, and I start seeing the light of God's word shining into my life. I'm like, you know what? I never thought of that before. That's brilliant. Just in the process of explaining it to him. And we're called to be like Jesus. And so when we come together, we're not trying to just come together long enough to get a good group photo so we can put it on the wall and see this is how many people we had. We're trying to be together long enough that I can tell you my struggles and what's happening deep inside. And we're both committed to Jesus. And so next Sunday, we'll actually see each other again. And you won't just be like, "Nah, I'm not going to that guy. i are not going to talk with him. And, and a lot of times when we come down to fellowship meals, when we're a small enough group, you'll discover that you run out of, you know, you've talked so many things. So you kind of, how's your battle going? Okay, so you're still working on the AC in your RV. Okay, all right, that's been three weeks now. Oh, three months. Oh, okay, you know. And so you, we start going through this. And we're like, well, is there something else I need to... And so this is what happens for Stacy and I when we we're with a group of Christians, is we, we look around and we say, who haven't we talked to for a while? Who do we need to catch up with? And sometimes, you know, we come and we're so full of something like, and, and someone will just be, Pastor Joseph, I've got to tell you this. And so I'm being told things, and it's an update to something that we've been talking about. But other times, and so a lot of times during fellowship, Stacy and I are not sitting next to each other. Because we're going to sit next to each other going home and we're going to sit next to each other tonight and we're actually going to discuss and we we'll say, did you have any good conversations? And then we'll be like, yeah, I was talking with so-and-so and he told me all this. Really? Well, I was talking with this person and they told me all, and so we'll share what we heard. And so Stacy and I will fellowship and we will, by, by splitting up, we're able to talk to more people. Occasionally we'll sit next to each other because we both want to talk. And we want to hear the same story at the same time. But we have a strategy that we have taken on because we've realized that God is at work in so many of, in all of us, and we want to hear it. And we can't always hear it. So if you see us avoiding each other, it's not that we don't want to talk with each other. We're not actually avoiding each other. We're being strategic in our fellowship. We're saying, we've heard the call to fellowship, and we're saying this here South Polar region is huge, and we've got to cover as much of this ground as we can. And so that's what we're trying to do. And so when I think of the call to fellowship, I think of something that we miss in the modern, in the, in the modern experience a lot. Fellowship calls us to slow down. Fellowship causes, causes us to ask questions expecting real answers. Fellowship, the heart of fellowship, is making ourselves vulnerable and being willing to listen to what someone else is going through and then being willing to share what's happening in us. Fellowship means that we have to be willing to hear someone speak heresy and not cut them off immediately, but talk with them and see if by bringing the word of God to bear on whatever they're talking about, there can be repentance and correction. Fellowship means being willing to hear the same stories over and over and over again until we decide something has got to be done about this. And we go to the person and say, you know, you've been sharing that same story for so long. Can you tell me something else what happened in your life? And we try to go deeper. Fellowship means putting ourselves in positions of being willing to be hurt in conversation because we want the church to thrive and to prosper. And so the call to fellowship is probably one of the most hazardous things that will ever happen to you. And it's not for lack of excitement or purpose or calling that we don't do fellowship, that we don't have promotional videos about fellowship. It's because it is so dangerous. It is risky business to be willing to talk. And and especially when it comes to, are we willing to sit down? Because, you know, if, if I have the pulpit there have been a few times in my life where I've been in a church setting where someone is preaching about something and suddenly someone stands up and says, wait a minute, the word of God says right here and what you're saying is wrong. I've actually been in a few church settings and one of them uh, in particular, there was one where the man gathered his family together and got out of there in the moment and he was breaking fellowship over something that was in scripture. Did he, does heresy need to be addressed? Well, it does but I don't know if you realize how much heresy has been around since the beginning and is even in the midst of us. We have misunderstandings of scriptures. We have misapplication of scripture. And we could split over it. But we're not here to look for all the ways that we can split. We're here to say, how can I encourage you in your walk with Jesus? Because Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. He is looking to fellowship with each of us. And sometimes we don't understand what that means on a level with God until we start doing it on a level with humans. When we start realizing that when we sit and talk with someone else. And here's the other thing about fellowship that makes it to me so risky. You see, if I can choose a party, I can look at everyone that's invited to the party and say, I like those people, let's go there. But when I say fellowship, anybody can show up. And when they come, I may have to talk with them. And so I might look over the room and say, well, here's a handful of people that I think I would really enjoy talking with. And then there's a handful of people that I'd rather not. I'm just being completely honest. And I think, you know what I'm talking about. And so the danger comes where we decide, I'm going to just hang out with this small group of people and we're only going to talk with each other. And as we do that, we might get to know each other well and have sweet fellowship, but at some point we lose the purpose of what Christ is doing in the kingdom because we're not hearing what these people and these people and these people are doing, and we're isolating ourselves in a group. And that happens a lot in fellowships. I've seen it. Um, and so I just, I just want to challenge us this morning that Christ is calling us to fellowship with himself and with each other, and that in fellowshipping with other people, our understanding of who Jesus is will be heightened. Now, I know we don't talk about this kind of thing all that much. And so I don't want to go deep into it all this morning. I just want to present this. And I want to ask you that simple question. If the the billboard says, you know, men wanted, we're going to go into rooms and talk with each other for hours on end, week after week and reveal our deepest heart secrets and explain our struggles and our trials. Like, are you going, pick me, pick me, I wanna do this. Like when I hear that, I'm like, I have a nice book at home, I'll go read that. (laughs) But when I see the result of us coming together week after week, there's one unifying thing we have and it's Jesus Christ. Our understanding of Jesus In this group of people right here, each one of us, the way we look at Jesus, the way we see him, we are more or less biblical. Some of us have a better understanding of who God is. Some of us are really struggling with our picture of God. Some of us are quite comfortable with our picture of God, not realizing how mistaken we are of who God is. And the way Jesus has chosen to reveal himself to us is fellowship. And so when we sit and we hear someone talking, um, you know, the other week we were up on a, we were up on a trail, trail life hiking and uh, uh, camping. And as we're around the campfire, I shared some stories with the trailman. And then some of the other adult leaders also shared a few testimonies of what Jesus has done. And then some of the trailmen wanted to share some things. And so one of them shared something and I'm thinking, you know, I probably need to address that. And that was my thought. I'm the leader. So I'm just waiting until the right time. I'm thinking, I probably actually need to say that in front of the whole group. Like it's not a huge correction. It's just something that needs to be said. Well, before I could say anything, one of the other trailmen shoots up his hand and the first one who's still speaking says, do you have something to say? He says, yes. Are you finished? I'm not quite. So this trailman lets that one finish. And then this trailman says the most beautiful answer that I had heard, that was what I was trying to figure out how to say, and he just said it. He referenced scripture, he talked about Jesus, and he gave such a beautiful little sermonette just right there. And I'm like, well, there's fellowship. I thought I would have to deal with this. And so what you'll see in a group, you'll hear someone say something, you're like, ah. Uh. And sometimes God is saying, not yet, just wait. And maybe someone else will bring up a question that will lead to a conversation. And so I know that in, you know, in the past where I come from, there are things that we did in the name of seeking God that turned out to be more witchcraft than God. And we ended up not believing that until we started hearing testimonies of people saying, well, you know what happened? I had problems in my life and I kept having this sense that Satan had doorways into my life and I didn't know what to deal with it. And then someone pointed out to me that what we were doing was not putting faith in Jesus Christ, but was putting faith in either our humanity or some other process. And as we did that, our faith in God was being set aside, and it was opening the door for the flesh and the world and the devil to do stuff. And when we repented of that and stopped doing that, even though we always thought it was beneficial because a lot of the things are related to health, when we stopped doing that and we renounced it in the name of Jesus, we had such victory and we had such clarity and we just knew Jesus on a whole different level. And so as we were hearing these testimonies, we were well, that's worth exploring. And so it comes down to, there's a simple verse um, in, I think it's, I have decided to follow Jesus, where it says, take the whole world, but give me Jesus. That is a simple verse in the song, but it is such a reality. And we don't always understand what the possibilities are in our walk with Jesus until we're hearing from someone else what they have received. So this is part of the beauty of fellowship. Now, fortunately, in fellowship, we don't have to come in and sit down and say, okay, now we're going to go down the row and everyone's gonna give their deepest, darkest secret. We don't do that. We start with the niceties. We start with the boring little trifles that don't mean anything. We start with the weather and the politics and the whatever's going on. We start with the, the hair color of our children, the gender of and how many children we have. We talk about our curriculum that we use in our homeschooling. We talk about all kinds of things. As we develop safety with each other, as we learn to trust each other, We go deeper and deeper. And as we go deeper and deeper, Christ begins to flow through us. And so I'm wanting to challenge you to not just look at fellowship as either a fun time with friends or good food to eat. Maybe. Depends on what everyone brought. We should go see, you know. So it's not just about the food. It's not just about if you have a few people you're hoping to see. It's not about the boredom or like, you know, I don't like this. But see it as an actual part and vision of your mission. It's who God has called you to be. And the beauty about fellowship is I'm not pushing you. No one's pushing you to say you've got to do it like this and like this and like this. All it means is are you willing to spend some face-to-face time with a few people? And are you willing to then look farther out and spend some more time with more people? Are you willing to do this? And you don't have to do it. You know, we can do it here at church, but we can also do it during the week. And a couple, I guess a little over a month ago or sometime, when um, Riley and Katie were here, we had a conversation just talking about how men, working men, in years past often had the um, somebody called it this, and, I don't, and I'm quoting someone, I don't know, but they called it the third space. Basically, you had the idea that you had your house, you had your work, and then there was this third space where you'd go hang out. So it'd be like the pub or the, the place where you went every morning or every evening, and you saw the same people there, just men from the community, and you interacted, and you would spend maybe 30 minutes to an hour, maybe longer there, and this would be just part of the human experience and how that enriched the awareness of what's happening in the community for the people, that's something that we can encourage because as Christians, if we happen to bump into non-believers, well, we may not be fellowshipping, but we can evangelize just by our fellowship. We have different, like, if I go into a coffee shop, I'm pretty sure that everyone else there wants to drink coffee. We have coffee fellowship. We might not have Jesus fellowship, but we got coffee fellowship. If I go into a Mexican restaurant, I can assume everyone there wants to eat tacos or fajitas or something, enchiladas, something, right? So we have some level of fellowship. It might be really small, but we have some level. And if we go into an area and we now and I find out, oh, we actually all live in this town. Now we have our vada fellowship. We live in this space, and so as as it that is, those are all valid fellowships. They are not maybe eternal, but they are good starting points. Like right now. Over in our part of Arvada, I could talk to just about anybody and we'd have an opinion on what the city council is doing with the trash cans, you know? And there would be strong opinions voiced and no solutions discovered, but much words spoken. And I would find out things about my neighbors. And so, so this, is, this is, the idea with fellowship is that it is actually quite natural and simple and it's what we were made to do, the way we interact. It's normal, but it's sanctified and holy and we're called to it, and we want to be devoted to it in the same way that the early church was. We want to have that response where God himself is using us in our times of fellowship, and where we don't see it as, oh, I've got to go hang out with them again, but we say, okay, Lord, you're sending me out again. And the South Polar regions are cold and desolate and barren, and it's hazardous, and there may be days of darkness. The conversation might be mind-numbing, but I am going to go and work my way through this conversation, hoping that eventually there will be a good conversation, hoping eventually there will be a Jesus conversation, a faith conversation, something good. And so I'm willing to go through the barren wasteland of boringness or just superficiality or whatever it is that happens because we've all had that where like, uh, you know, I love the, the family, the Gilbreth family uh, in the Cheaper by the Dozen book. They would have their, they'd be sitting around the table and they could talk about whatever they wanted to talk about as long as it was of the general, of general interest. And so at any time the Papa, Papa Gilbreth could say that is not of general interest, even if it was, and he could talk about whatever he wanted to. But in general, they had to talk of things that were of general interest. It couldn't just be about just what I wanted. And so here in the church fellowship, what is of general interest? It's good for us to think about that, but there are some things that are not. And so we have to sometimes tailor what we talk about based on who we're with, and that's okay. We don't have to spill our guts with every single person that we meet uh, or that we interact with. But there's a call and there's a direction. We want Jesus to show up in our conversation. And so I'm still formulating how we can make the commercial for fellowship. Like, I'm a little bit concerned that if we start showing the food, then there'll be like a food fight or something or spaghetti slurping and stuff. And I'm like, no, no, that's not what I'm, (sighs) so I'm not sure yet if there can be a commercial made for fellowship, but I think there needs to be some light shining on it, some thought put into it and some intentionality, because it's part of our call to go into all the nations to reach the world. Well, we start right here, and turns out we need encouragement. We need direction. And when a brother offends you and is headed off in the wrong direction, he says where two or three are gathered together, you can make these decisions and you can bring clarity. And so that is what we're wanting. We're wanting to make sure, because that's what I want in fellowship. I remember, I'll I'll tell you one more thing that happened in my life that I might've already told you before, but I'll just share this one with you. I had met a man who was aging and he was in ministry, but he was old enough that all of the other mentors in his life had died. And then even the men that were his age had died. And he had no one left that was his age or older. In his life, he always had men that spoke into his life. And so he'd been in ministry for 50-something years by now. When I met him, I was shocked and surprised at how soft he was on some sin, how encouraging he was of other sin, and while at the same time he was preaching the love of God in this really kind of mixed, warped way. And I was very confused. And I, I remember asking him a lot of questions working with him for a while. And when I couldn't make headway there, I remember when I was finally gone from there and I was driving back across the country and I just, I had a long drive. I was, I mean, it was almost west coast, it was almost coast to coast, not quite. And as I was driving through, I was praying, Lord, what happened to this man? Because I see myself in this man. And so if I am at age 22, looking at him going, I have similar gifts and callings as he does, And look where he is now. I don't want to wash out at the end of my life. I want to stay strong on the word of God. I want to stay strong on the target. I want to be righteous and love God all the days of my life. How do I avoid this shipwreck at the end? And it was a, not a spoken voice, but just a kind of reverberating echo that began working its way in as I was praying mile after mile after mile as I was driving. It was, he was an island among men all of the people that would have held him accountable had all died. And he had never bothered to make relationship with younger people than himself. And so when all of his people his age and all the people older died, he had no one left. And he began shipwrecking. And I went home from that trip and I got, I went, my my brother was seven years younger. I got him and all of his friends and I said, okay, I need to start meeting with you guys every week I need to know you guys, because when I'm 80, I'm hoping that one of you 73-year-olds will be spry enough and young enough to be able to come and say, hey, Joseph, eh, you're kind of missing it here. And so we started meeting every, every week, and the whole point was I didn't want to be an island adrift in the ocean with no anchoring and no mooring and not knowing where I was, with only myself to measure myself to. And that is the real benefit of fellowship. If someone else can hear what you're saying, walk with you and say, you know, you told me last week or seven years ago, whatever it was, you told me that this was one of God's callings and direction in your life and this is a priority, but you're, you're missing that, you're off the mark. And as, you, as they tell you that, you can say, am I off the mark? And you will start correcting so that you're no longer missing the mark. And that's part of the beauty of fellowship. And, you know, a simple, we, we, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, this is going to be profound, but there's just so many ways, like on a very practical level, this works. Like if I'm working on a car or a house or an RV and I'm going down this path and I share what I'm doing and one of the other men says, wait, what, what did you say you did? Well, I did this, and then I did this, and then I did that. They're like, but did you try this? I'm like, well, no, I didn't. I'm pretty sure it's over here. And he says, well, I think you need to try that. And I'm like, well, if you insist. And then I go home, and I try what he said, and I learn something. And potentially saves me a lot of work and trouble. And so, you know, when we're talking about painting, when we're talking about construction, it is on a practical level we can learn. If you're, you know, sewing. Sewing is one of those things that I love, but I'm so glad I'm not a tailor almost said seamstress. I'm glad I'm not a seamstress too. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> but, but when I'm trying to figure something out, if I go to someone else who's already done it and say, how did you do this? And they're like, well, we did this and you fold this. Over. Oh, that's easy. Okay. And then you go do it because you, you had testimony. And that's the beauty of fellowship. That's the power of fellowship. And so on a spiritual level, it's not that we're being sent out to go die on a barren waste of, talking with people. It's that God is alive in each of us, and when we come together, it quickens us and it strengthens us. So go find people to fellowship with and hopefully find someone to fellowship with that you don't agree with so they can chip off some of the crusty parts, okay? This is, I believe, part of God's calling on us as Christians. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for your personal example that you said in Revelation 3.20 that you are standing at the door knocking. You're wanting to come in and fellowship with us. And so, Lord, we want to open that door. We want to fellowship with you. But we also want to take this time that we get to be together and to see it as something sacred and something beautiful and a grand opportunity and not as drudgery or not as something to be endured, but something to be embraced, something that in, through this we can be responding to your heavenly knock. As you're knocking on our door to fellowship with us, we can also fellowship with each other. And Lord, you are in each of us, Christ in us, the hope of glory. You're hidden, we are hidden with Christ in God. And Lord, as we discuss these things with each other, our faith in you will grow, and our ability to understand what you're doing will be better. So thank you, Lord, for revealing yourself to us through each other. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.